Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. So we, um, we have been in a series called I Am. And if you're new to our church family, we've been in the book of John going through seven statements. And so we started off with I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. And he says things like I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. This week, we get to talk about a passage in John 15. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John 15. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We're Bible people. If you hear it and it's profound and you're like, hmm, that hit me. I like that. That's good. That's God showing up and speaking through his word. If you don't understand what I'm talking about or the joke doesn't land, that's me. Okay, so uh, John 15 verses 1 through 11, and uh, Jesus gives us our last I am statement. He says this, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that there'll be even more fruit. You are already clean because the word that I've spoken to you, he's talking to his disciples, remain in me as I also remain in you. No No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's a promise. If you stay connected, if you stay faithful, if you abide, if you just stay, you will bear fruit and it will be done for you. Ask whatever it is that you want. It will be done for you is what he tells us. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples as the father has loved me. I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this. I love this line. Here's why all this matters. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm leading you to the abundant life. And so uh, if kind of our phrase or our I am statement this week is I am the true vine. That's what he says in John 15. I am the true vine. Uh, I just want to encourage you today to lean in, take notes, not on what I say necessarily, but even if all you do is like write down the addresses of some of the scriptures that I give you, it'll serve you really well. So I am the true vine. What's Jesus talking about? So Jesus, this is hours before uh, he is arrested, hours before his death, hours before, really days before his resurrection. And he's spending kind of uh, just the last few moments with his followers. And so we get in... uh, these several chapters of John, some statements that he gives to his followers. And he gives them this phrase, I am the vine. And when he's talking to his disciples, he's nodding to really for them, it would just hit him square in the face. For me and you, we're not, you know, first century Jews. So it's a little bit lost on us. But, um, but he uses this kind of gardening metaphor and he uses this pruning metaphor and this vine metaphor because it was in scripture. It was in the Old Testament. So the people of God, the Israelites were known as the vine of God, but always in a negative connotation. So it was always like, hey, you're the vine that doesn't produce any fruit. I'm going to cut you down, basically, is what God was saying to the, to the people in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. Everywhere you stop short, every place you couldn't hit the mark, every place that you couldn't do the things that you knew God was calling you to do, guess what? In me, you could stay connected. In me, you can abide. In me, you can be in right relationship with God. And so 
for those of us, this, this metaphor always hits a little bit better if you're like plant people. Do we have any plant people in the house? You love plants. You just got them all over the place or you garden or whatever, right? If something's dead, you cut it off. If something has potential, but you don't like the way it's growing, you prune it a little bit. And that's what he's given us in this passage of scripture. And that's what he's teaching us. Look at verse two. Uh, I'm going to break down the passage. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's my first point. You will get cut. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. So he's, he, he just hits all of it. He's just like, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're dead, you get cut off. And if you're in me, you get pruned. Okay. So either way you get cut. People read this passage one of two ways. They read it corporately. So, um, people will say, okay, well, if you're, if you're dead and if you're a branch that produces no fruit, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you don't believe, have a saving faith in him, you get cut off. And if you do have a saving faith in him, he'll prune you and kind of, uh, make you, uh, who it is that he desires for you to be. And then other people look at this passage and they interpret it as an individual, like this is what it means individually for your faith. So there's certain parts of you that are dead. There's certain parts of you that are dead to sin, certain things that you struggle with. And he goes, I'm going to cut that off. There's no, there's no life in that. And then there's other parts of you that have some life, have some potential, but he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to redirect and prune some things in you, uh, in that area. And the way that I interpret the passage is yes, that's the way that I interpret the passage. So he wants to teach us all the things and either way you interpret it. The idea is you get cut. Okay. That's the idea to be a follower of Jesus is to bear fruit. This is what the Bible teaches. Basically, if I'm a follower of Jesus, people should notice a marked difference in my life. That's the reason why we use a phrase like life change. Because you ought to be able to, you ought to be able to like tell a difference in someone. Like I'm a Jesus follower. I begin to bear fruit. And this is what Jesus teaches us. I mean, even before this moment, he says this on Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 7. He says, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. It's real deep. You know what I mean? It's real deep. And uh, he's like, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You'll recognize them. And, um, and Jesus is saying, you, you, the way that you engage the rest of humanity, the way that you love, the way that you're marked on how you, but basically the life change, people ought to notice a marked difference. By your fruit, people will judge you. So if, you, if it looks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, it smells like a duck, right? Cheats on its taxes like a duck, sleeps around like a duck, it's probably a duck. You know what I mean? It's like but bad fruit, bad trees, good fruit, good trees, you can tell a difference. James actually gives commentary to uh, the passage in Matthew whenever James is writing a letter to the early church. And he talks about, hey, he talks about the, the, the relationship between faith and works. If you remember that passage, right? He's like, hey, your faith is always going to translate into some action. People are going to notice what you believe by how you live. And so um, here's what he says in James 2. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed. Like, you know, I'm not going to give you anything, but God bless you and I'll pray for you. And so uh, if, if no one helps them, right, does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
And so James is like, you will bear fruit. These deeds, these works that he's talking about is the fruit that you produce. And, and when we hear that, we're like, all right, cool, sold. What fruit are we talking about? And Galatians 5 really is the place that unpacks for us what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against uh, such things, there is no law. And so, um, basically, you bear fruit, you engage people, and people go, wow, they are so kind, they are just good, they're just more, they super faithful, wow, they're patient with me, they control themselves, like, just a marked difference on your life. And we generally think of the fruits of the Spirit as, like, fruits with an S, but this passage in Galatians 5, for the longest time, I read it that way, but Galatians 5 is just fruit of the Spirit, as in, they're all one fruit. So um, you're going to grow in these things. They all touch one another. It all matters, right? And so um, it's hard to be impatient and loving at the same time. And if you lack love, you probably don't have any joy. And then joy always gives way to kindness, right? And then kindness always gives way to this goodness about you. And then faithfulness. And then basically they're all touching each other and it all matters. And so Galatians 5 gives us this commentary. Hey, grow you're going to grow in fruit. You're going to bear more fruit. And here's what it looks like. And the truth is, is when I look at passages like Galatians 5 and God says, this is what your life should look like. No one in this room, <laughs> none of us in this room, look at that passage and we're all like, sweet. I'm crushing all that. Like, good. I'm good, bro. Like, I'm good. I'm 100% self-control. Gold medal in patience right here. You know what I mean? I am the standard when it comes to kindness. Probably not. So, right, so we see some, we, we read that list and we go, ooh, like there's some, there's some areas that we need some pruning. There's some areas that we need to get a little bit more like Jesus, and they all matter. They all touch, and it's growth together. The I am, uh, the true vine statement that Jesus gives us is so great because it reminds us, hey, uh, you're not where you once were. But also, you're not where I want to take you, and I've got some work to do. I'm going to cut dead things off, and I'm going to prune and make way for more fruit and more life. And so um, I just want to remind us that this passage is so important because it reminds us that the Christian life is a process. So many people will relegate, if you're not careful, especially in an American context, relegate faith to a decision made or a card marked or a moment in a service or an altar call or a hand raised or any of that kind of stuff. And all that's important for you to confess Christ and to have a meaningful moment. But following Jesus is life. It's just like forever, right? So you have the moment where you surrender your life to him. You have this saving faith. And now be about that business. Now it's about, okay, transform me. Help me to put off the old self, cut off dead things, prune me in such a way that I look more like you. And it's just, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that happens overnight. And so the thing I want for all of us to do is just acknowledge the areas that we need to be pruned. Like when was the last time you looked at yourself, you did some soul searching, you read a passage of scripture, you had someone speak, speak into you, you invited somebody into that space and you were like, Hey, what is, how am I doing? How am I doing with patience? Like faithfulness? How am, I, how am I hitting it? Like how am I, you know, think about what are the areas and then go, man, I've got, to, I got some work to do. Jesus says, I am who you could not be. That's who I am. So he's perfect joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He's, per- he's all that in perfection. 
And then he invites us into a relationship so that he can do a work in us that we can't do for ourselves. And so in all of my efforts in trying to grow and look more like Jesus over the course of my lifetime, the places that I took ground the most and the times that I grew the most became more humble, became more loving, became more peace-filled or had more self-control was always in the aftermath of some brokenness, some sin in my life that was made public. The death of our daughter last year is always in hard things. It always feels like getting cut a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it always is a little bit. Pruning is like, ooh, I don't like pruning. But on the aftermath of it, I actually, it gives me over to more life. It actually leads me towards more joy. And it actually helps me bear more fruit uh, in all of my relationships. And so that should encourage us today. And, and I know some of you are thinking, dude, this Child Dedication Sunday, this is really heavy. You're in here talking about getting cut, and this is a hard message for us to receive. Verse 2 is hard news, but verse 3 is good news. Look at verse 3. Here's what Jesus says right after says, I'm going to prune you. Here's what he says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So right after he says, hey, I'm going to trim dead things and I'm going to prune things so that it'll bear more fruit. Right after that, he looks at his followers, his disciples, and he says, you are already clean. And within a 24-hour period, all of these brothers are getting ready to deny him, getting ready to run. It's getting ready to get scarce, right? And that's where Jesus chooses to look at his followers right before that and says, you're already clean. You're clean because you believe. And who I say I am, not because of your good works, not because of your merit, not because you're going to, uh, you know, you're actually going to show up when I need you to show up. You're actually not going to do that. But, but because of that, because of your belief and because of your faith, you're clean, uh, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And so we got to learn to be more gracious with ourselves too in following Christ. Um, a lot of us, we, we, uh, we forget that you will always be in process. You forget that you will always struggle. You forget that you will always be tempted, that you will always make mistakes, that you will always make wrong decisions. It's like, wow, that's not super encouraging, but it's also true. Like, so you could put off, listen, you can grow, you can get better. Like God can lead you towards more, but this is always, this is the process. This is the pruning. And so be gracious to ourselves because in Christ, here's the good news. In Jesus, you are clean. Like God looks at you and all your failures and all your mistakes and all the wrong decisions and all the selfishness and all the things that we struggle with. And he looks at us who are in Christ and goes, man, you look like my son. Isn't that wild? And so that's what he's teaching us in this passage. Hey, in me, I'm the thing that connects you to the father. I'm the way. Just abide right here. Look at verses four through seven. He says, remain in me. And I'm going to remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's such an encouraging part of the text for me. It's such a promise. If you stay, he's like, you will bear fruit. It'll, it'll happen. Like you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. And then he says this, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We read passages like that and we're like, like whatever I wish. Like, but what he's saying in that passage, he's like, hey, if you abide in me, if you stay connected, if you spend time with me, I'm going to begin to do some heart transformation. And the things that you ask for are no longer the things that you used to ask for. But now you're going to ask for what I want you to ask for. And that's what I hand you. Isn't that awesome? So he says, hey, stay right here. 
in me you're clean, and then there's this transforming process. One of the beautiful things about the Christian life is union with Jesus. Where God looks at us as believers, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you in your disobedience, he sees Jesus. And for many of us, that's the hardest part of following Jesus. Because the rest of the world that we live in is like retributive justice. If you do for me, I'll do for you. And everything is based on merit. Got into the school of my choice. I got hired. I got that relationship. I got like whatever based on what are you going to do for me? And we kind of, and anywhere there's an offense in our life, we tend to avoid. I want you to think about those. Remember dating season of life? Those, some of you are in dating season of life. Got a lot, a lot of young adults in here. But also for those of the rest of us, can you remember dating season of life? Where you, it's just, we wanted to spend time with people. You always had to spend time. You just always wanted to be, you're just like, I just got to be with them. I just got to stand next to them, got to hold their hand, got to walk. I'm going to text each other about nothing. We're going to stay on the phone till 3 a.m. about nothing. You know what I mean? And it's just got to be with them. Got to just, oh, just your dating season. And then what happens? You break up. And did you want to be together anymore? No, you avoid that person like the plague, right? You're like, I don't ever want to see that joker again, right? So it depended on the scenario. But anywhere there's a defense, let me put it that way. Some of you have had really healthy relationships. Anywhere there's a defense, but we were talking with friends the other night about people. Uh, it was so funny. It was literally like a couple nights ago. We were talking about previous dating relationships. And they were like, if I see somebody that I dated from back in the day, like, and I'm out, I'm like, yo. And I just like, you just like get by the aisle and just like sneak my way out. And like, because anywhere there's an offense, we avoid people. We do it, not just in dating life, but we do it with family and friends, coworkers. People do this with church. People see Brooke and I, we'll, we'll be out and people will see us um, that maybe haven't churched in a while or they, they're no longer at Soma or like whatever. And uh, they'll see us and they'll be like, you know what I mean? They're like, we're going in for the hug. And they're like, hey, I'm going, I'm getting back in. And we're like, dude, I'm just hugging you. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care. Also, I didn't even know our church is crazy big these days. So like, I love you and I'm glad you're here. And, and I want you to come and I want you to be a part. But everything that we do is for you. I don't want to like obligate you to do a thing. I want you to just come. And it just, anywhere there's an offense, it just feels like, wow. Uh, we avoid people, but this is not the way that Jesus operates. Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. You're welcome. I'm delighted in you. And as a matter of fact, he wants you to come when you make a mistake, when you're broken, when you step in it, when you say or do something that for the rest of humanity, you're like, I don't want, I'm not going to show up because I ruined it. And Jesus is like, no, that's why I came. You got to lean in. Like, I want you to come to me when you're at your worst, I knew that was going to happen, by the way. I knew you were going to do that dumb thing. I need you to lean in and, 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 and stay connected. We see this in scripture. Um, Peter, who's like my spirit animal. I love Peter. He's very brazen, very aggressive, says dumb junk. You know what I mean? I just love him so much. And so he, uh, in this similar space, like right before Jesus's uh, death, right before he's arrested, Jesus looks at all of his followers and says, hey, next few hours, it's getting ready to go down. All of you are getting ready to go. It's getting ready to get thin. All of you are going to betray me. All of you are going to leave me. Peter, he pipes up and he's like, Lord, if all of them betray you, if all these fools leave, I will never leave you. And then Jesus is like, actually, it's a bit ironic, Peter. Actually, within a few hours, you're going to deny me three times. Peter leans in again, which is kind of wild because he's already assented to the fact that he's the son of God. He's seen him raise people from the dead, seen him walk on water. And yet in this moment, he gives him a rebuttal, which is cute. And he's like, no, Lord, I will never deny. I'll never betray you. Even if I die. And Jesus is like, okay, 
Okay, Peter. So, hey, so anyway, people come and arrest Jesus in the garden. And in Peter's defense, he's ready. He's ready to get after it. He's ready to rumble. He takes the sword out, cuts off Malthus's ear. You know what I mean? There's a God soldier comes up, which, by the way, how do you, I don't understand, like, go for the heart or go for the head, or I don't understand how you just get, dude did this, and he got, I don't know, but he cut his ear off, went, so he picked, Jesus picks up the ear, puts it on, puts it back on, looks at Peter and says, hey, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Passage tells us that all the disciples flee. All of them run. They're like, it's going down. Um, and so, but the, the Bible also tells us that there's one guy who kind of stays back and, but he, so he's captured, but then he ends up running out of his garments. He basically runs out of his clothes. Dude runs naked. They grab his clothes. He runs a bunch of Bible scholars believe that's Peter. So I'm trying in my own strength and in my own will, I'm going to, I'm going to make good on my claim that I'm never going to leave you, but also I'm going to leave you. So anyway, so he goes to the inner court. Uh, Jesus is tried at the inner court. Peter shows up, but he's kind of incognito at this moment. He's trying not to be seen, right? Again, I want to make good on the claim that I'm never going to leave you, but also I really don't want anybody to know I'm here. So he's there. A servant girl calls him out and she says, Hey, you are a follower of Jesus. And he says, I have no idea who you're talking about. I've never met him. I don't know him. Pastor says she comes back and she says, no, you have an accent. You're from Galilee. You've got to be a follower of Jesus. And then Peter begins to press in. He gets frustrated, gets more bold, gets more loud. I do not know him. I don't know him. Never seen him. And then she leans in again, third time. Bible tells us he begins to cuss her out and just begins to just say, I've never met the man. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crows and he looks over and Jesus is staring right at him. And in his betrayal and in his brokenness, he leaves. Now, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine the people who are closest to you. Your mom, your best friend, your spouse, whoever it is. Who's your closest, the people that are closest to you. Now, I want to imagine that you're awaiting a public execution and then they publicly deny you. There has never been a greater betrayal. Same guy who looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I will never leave you. Never going to leave you. Even if I have to die, I'm never going to leave you. And then like three hours later, I don't know if you make your New Year's resolutions. I usually make it like five or six days. This brother didn't make it three hours. Three hours later, he has denied Christ. He has this moment of brokenness and he has this moment of humility. And here's what's really cool. So the same guy who betrayed Jesus really in one of the greatest ways this is the scene that plays out whenever Jesus is resurrected. He comes to uh, this beach. He comes to a shore. All of uh, the followers, Peter and a bunch of guys are out in a boat because they just went back to what they knew before Jesus. They're like, well, we got to come up with a new like, vocation, like a new game plan. And so uh, Jesus, uh, they've heard rumblings of Jesus's, uh, that he's risen, but they haven't seen him. And it's the moment where they see a risen Jesus and they're all in the boat. Now, here's Peter who betrayed Jesus, and what he does in that moment, the Bible's so awesome. So he takes his outer garment, wraps it around him, and jumps out of the boat. Everybody's trying to turn the boat to get to Jesus, and he's like, nah. Jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, falls at the feet of Jesus. Same guy. Same guy who, in his brokenness, betrayed Jesus in one of the, the most public ways, and yet, and yet he runs to him. He runs to him, Right? And so there's this real humbling of Peter in this moment. But here's what's cool. Same, same guy is the same guy that stands up on Pentecost Sunday. And by the power of the, uh, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit speaks, God uses his words and 3,000 people come to life. But same guy 
pruning. More fruit. And so that's what he wants for me and you. He wants to prune some areas of our life. He wants us to see that in him we're already clean. He desires to do a work in and through us. And then we look on at, uh, at verses 8 through 10. This is what it says. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain, just stay there. Just stay in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And here's what he's saying in this part of the passage. He gives us power to love. Jesus as the vine, Jesus as the vine, he cuts, he prunes. Jesus as the vine, we just find our identity and our worth in him. Jesus as the vine, he gives us the power to love in areas that we, that we didn't have it before. And some of us, if we're not careful, we'll flip passages like this and go, if I, if I obey his commands, then I will abide in his love. But the entire thing, you got to read it in context. The entire thing says, if I abide in his love, then I will obey his commands. It's out of the overflow of a relationship. It's not obey and you'll love me. But as you grow in your love for me, you'll obey my commands. And so it's so important because especially if you're new to faith, um, we all need to be reminded. But if you get this wrong, you enslave yourself to a set of expectations that you're never going to meet. You will never meet those expectations. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be perfect enough. You'll never be right enough. In Jesus, you can be. It becomes a religion for some of us instead of the good news that Jesus is divine. We're called to work on our love for Jesus. That's it. Abide. Stay connected. And then that, that will straighten out your disobedience because it changes your heart. So the idea is to fill your life with things that stir your affections for Jesus and cut out things that would rob your affections for Jesus universally for us. And it feels like the same application all the time. You're like, would you please stop saying that? I can't. It's the play. So it's like prayer life. Pray. Pray. Pray about everything. He hears you. He desires for you to pray. Uh, because it, it expresses a humility. It expresses a dependence that you really lack in every other area of your life. God, I don't know where to go. I don't know what job to take. I don't know what you want me to do with this relationship. Or what do I do about travel? Or what do I do about this, uh, this hard thing that we're going through? Or what do I do about this? T- like, pray. Just pray. And then God's word. He speaks. Listen, if you want to get to know somebody, spend some time with them. Spend time with him. He's our, like his, the life, this is all about the life of Christ. This is all about who he is and what he desires for you. And his character is on full display and his life is on full display and his love is on full display and his promises for you are on full display. Spend some time. Spend some time and watch what happens in your life. Now, outside of those two things, you kind of free it up. What stirs your affections for Jesus? Because it's different flavors for different people, right? How many of your early morning people, you like love the early morning? You're like about that 5 a.m. club. Come on, hit me with the hit me with the six six a.m. We'll, we'll just broaden a little bit. Y'all are like whatever. It's like how many of you like you stay up all night? You like to, you look your my night owls. Yeah. See, you might you might love to spend time with the Lord like 11 p.m. You know what I mean? 5 a.m. Not so much. Doesn't really stir your affection so much. Maybe a little angry at Jesus at 5 a.m. But 5 a.m. club, you might be like sunrise. Oh, I got my cup of coffee. I love the Lord. You know, like whatever it is that makes you just really like lean in and be strategic. Okay, what stirs my affections? What people speak life over me? What people speak to my potential? What people make me more like Jesus? Who are my friends that I get an opportunity to pour into? But let's be honest, they're not the source for me to be encouraged. If anything, it's the other way around. 
And I got to be careful about the margin that I build for people who just bring a brother down versus people who build me up. Who are the people that I need to be spending time with? One thing that I do in this season, I, I never did it in high school. I just didn't like Christian music. I just didn't like it. Didn't like worship music. It was one, cause it was just bad. It's just not good back in the day. I mean, it was of the Lord and it was worship and it was a joyful noise and all that, but it just wasn't as well written as what's happening these days. And I just love in this season of life, worship music. I'll be in the car, worship music. I'll be in the shower, worship music. I'll be whatever, like worship music. And I just love it because it just make, it just reminds me like people lead me in worship. I don't even have to do anything. It's great. Life hacks. I'm just giving you life hacks right now. Some of you, it's outdoors. You love outdoors. I'm going to go for a walk, right? I want want to go away to the mountains. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Right? Whatever it is for you, like you got to get away and you got to decide, okay, um, what is the things that stir my affection? For me, it's my family. When I spend time with my family, when I look at my wife and I look at my kids, it just, I overflow with gratitude. I know what I deserve and I know what he's given me. And I'm going, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Right? So think about that. What stirs your affections for Jesus? What helps you stay connected? Because your only job is to stay connected. That's it. Christian life is literally stay connected. And then he's like, cool, I'm going to do all this awesome junk. And also, I mean, you can, you can be a part of it too because you're connected. You are the branch. But also all the fruit that I produce, you're not the source of that. Right? People come, people come to us in the season. Like we just, we just got back from a um, church conference and they're talking about life change and talking about growth of our church and talking about all this kind of stuff. And, um, and we're talking and I'm like, man, if they knew how inadequate a brother is, if they knew who I am and like, literally they're like, wow, that's crazy. What do you do? Stay connected. That's what, if, if there's fruit, if anything's happening is good and redeeming and life change is happening, it's not me. That's the cool thing. If I say kind words, if I'm faithful in some area, if I'm loving in some way, if I express joy, all of that is not me. That's God in me. And so we got to get to a place as, as Jesus followers where we realize my whole job, my whole job is to just stay connected. My whole job is to, to abide to remain. And then what are the things application wise that I can do to just stay in his presence, to just have my affection stirred? God, I love you. And I just want to stay here. I don't want to love you for a season. You, you do great things in and through me for a season and then, and then just miss it. And I just have to miss out. I just have to miss out on growth. I just have to, have to miss out on fruit. Just have to miss out on impacting other people's lives. How awesome would it be as a church if wherever we went as a church people, as Jesus people, we came into contact with people and they were like, what? They are like the happiest. They're so kind and they're so gracious and they're so humble and they are so like they serve you. And it's just how awesome would it be if we just lived there instead of faking it in some places if we be real for a minute, instead of doing it over here and then going home and being a different individual and then going over here and being a different individual and then going over here, instead of going, okay, work through me, flow through me wherever I'm at. Help me to stay connected. And that's our job. So um, I'm going to pray for us and 
pray for you, but I want you to think while we pray, what are the areas of my life? Because you already know what they are. God will reveal them to you. What are some areas of my life that I, I know he needs, he's doing a work and he desires, like there's some pruning happening. There's some things that are being cut off, right? I don't know what that is for you. There's some dead things, some things that really keep me from, it doesn't stir my affection for him. Things I watch, people I hang with, things I do, things like whatever those things are, he'll cut them off. Pray for it. Ask him, hey, by by your spirit, just show me the things you want to do in me. And then for the rest of us, man, just some some, some of us just need to be reminded that when you're in Jesus, you're already clean. You're clean. You're clean. As crazy as that is. And then live out of the overflow of the love that he has for me and you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us, for your love made manifest, and you coming and doing what we couldn't do and living a life that we couldn't live. And you fulfilled every bit of the law and everything that, um, everywhere we fall short, God, you completed the task and you are the vine. You're the true vine. The way for us to experience life is in you. And so for all of us, God, if we're in you and we're Jesus followers, you see us as clean. God, thank you so much that instead of seeing me and my disobedience and my sin and my brokenness and all the things that you just see Jesus, you just see your son. You see his righteousness and you see his faithfulness and you see his, his obedience. And so I, I'm grateful for that. But also I just desire more. I want, I want more fruit. So just continue to do your work in my life. For everybody who's here as a part of our church family, God, help us, lead us into a place of more abundance. Help us not to be scared or, be, or play afraid or be anxious about being refined or about pruning because ultimately it's for our good. You tell us in this passage that so that we can have joy and that our joy would be complete in you. And so for, uh, for everybody who's here today, if you're here and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, spent a lifetime in church doing religious things, but it's not, it's not uh, you know, become clean so that you can come to Jesus, but it's come to Jesus so that you can have his, he, he will make you clean. You just got to come. You just got to stay. You just got to be, abide and stay connected. But you've never had that moment where you surrendered your life to him. You've never had that moment where you've come home. And you're here today and you're going, I want to make Jesus the leader of my life. I want to surrender my life to him. I want the moment of salvation. If that's you today, Bible tells us there's just, uh, God will just stir something in us and bring us over to the conviction of, the courage of conviction. And then uh, we just need to confess him as Lord. Need to have an opportunity where we mark it and just say, I'm a Jesus follower and I'm going all in. I'm surrendering my life to him. If that's you today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. And right where you're sitting with every head bow, I I pray that you would just uh, have the boldness of conviction to just lift your hand right where you're at and just say, man, God's doing a work in me. So if you're here and you want to surrender your life to him, just raise your hand. I see your hands. Yep. I see your hands. God sees your hands is even more important. And so uh, just right where you're at, whoever you are, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Man, I give you my life. I am so grateful for what you've done for me. I'm so grateful for the cross. I'm so grateful for the empty tomb. And now I live in light of the fact of resurrection. And you are the vine. Help me to stay connected. Lead me. Guide me. God, I give every bit of sin, every bit of brokenness, every bit of shame in my life all the things that I'm afraid of and I, I, you hand me over to freedom and you hand me over to joy and you hand me over to a hope that's an eternal hope and then I pray that you would prune the areas of my life help me to look more like you faithfully help me to look more like you by the reality of your resurrection and the power of your Holy Spirit Lord we love you it's in Jesus name we pray Amen